I think there's time uh, now for kids to get their binders and work on, I don't, there's a lot of logistics for me to try and remember here this morning. Um, it's, it's bad enough that I'm kind of freaked out um, doing, this, uh, doing this sermon thing. Um, but I'm supposed to, uh, I, get, I got my mute off because that's working. And I'm supposed to talk about kids going to get binders to get prizes. Something. Okay. That part's, that part's out of the way. In, in half an hour, I'll be able to breathe again. And uh, you guys will be able to go for lunch. So. This morning, I don't know what to do with my hands either. So, um, I'm, a, I'm a lot more comfortable driving a tractor than I am doing this. But um, nonetheless, <clears throat> this morning I'm uh, bringing a message from Colossians, and uh, we've been talking about Colossians for a while, uh, for a few weeks, and I want to um, provide a bit of a, of a runway to, to get us up to speed to, um, to talk about the verses that we're going to talk about today. So this letter is written uh, to the Colossian church um, about 30 years-ish after the time of Christ. Uh, It's written by Paul uh, to this church. He's never been there. He he knows some of the people. He has never been there. Uh, The people that are in the church at Colossae Um, perhaps had seen Christ. Some of them had perhaps seen Christ, or perhaps some of them had known somebody who had seen Christ. So it's really close to the time of Christ. Um, It uh, it was still a bit risky to be a Christian. It wasn't a popular thing. Um, They they felt a little bit isolated, even though there's churches kind of popping up all over the place. Um, They felt a little bit isolated, they felt a little bit alone, and sometimes they felt a little bit confused. So Paul is is writing a letter uh, to them, Um, and we're going to start at the start, we're going to read through a bunch of verses, um, and we'll start at the start of chapter 2, and uh, to to get us kind of on our way. And so I want to ask for your uh, forgiveness to start with because I'm going to be using the message. Um, So some people are purists and they think that we shouldn't be using the message. Um, When I was challenged by Darren in his sinister plot to get people to come and preach, then, uh, then I thought, well, I need to I need to get a bit of a gist of what's going on. So I read a bunch of different, a bunch of different versions, and and this this one that was the message kind of stood out for me. It was kind of more real, active uh, kind of language. Um, so we'll we'll read uh, some that that Darren uh, preached on last week, and then uh, at verse from verse six to fifteen is the passage that we're doing. Uh, today, but we'll, we'll start here. I want you to realize that I continue to work as hard as I know how for you, and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference. Know that I'm on your side, right alongside you. You're not alone in this. 
I want you woven into the tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have the minds, you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown this mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. I'm a long way off, true. And you may never lay eyes on me, but believe me, I'm on your side, right beside you. I'm delighted to hear of the careful and orderly ways that you conduct your affairs and impressed with the solid substance of your faith in Christ. My counsel for you is, is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You've received, you've received Christ Jesus, the Master, now live Him. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well constructed upon Him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. <clears throat> Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings, but that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. Insiders, not through some secretive initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection, God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive, right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Picture that. <clears throat> so back if we remember uh, in verse 1 through 5, uh, that Darren talked about last week, um, I was challenged about uh, the maturity of my Christian faith and that it didn't really uh, have to do with my circumstances. 
that was a challenge. Uh, he talked about, um, about Peter walking on the water and about Elisha seeing, seeing the armies of people that were, or the armies of, of angels that were, that were fighting for them in the Old Testament. So I think that, that that's a good challenge. I think that it, um, you know, in, in these verses, um, Paul goes to great lengths to try and, to try and um, create some camaraderie with people that were at Colossae, to give them, to let them know that he is their ally. And so far in Colossae, in Colossians, um, he's been con- kind of congratulating them, and it's been rather soft talk, but now he change, changes pace a little tiny bit. So there had been some difficulties that were uh, in the church in Colossae, and it's not really clear what the, what the difficulties were, but as you can imagine, the, the church in Colossae was made up of, of people from, from Colossae. Uh, they were, there were people who were interested um, in Christianity. Some of them had been seekers the whole time. Some of them had been Jews, some of them had, had been, um, had been uh, worldly, had been contemporary people of, of the time, and they all brought their little bits and pieces uh, with them to the church. And they thought that they were trying to add to, um, to the intensity of what God had or to the exclusivity of what God had for them by bringing these different, um, these different facets in. So if we go, uh, move right up to verse 6, so a couple slides ahead. So my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. Um, Most of this is is pretty straightforward, and that's why that I like this this in the message. Um, Paul is is, um, affirming to the church at Colossae that they have enough information, that there are no secrets that God is not doing a new thing there. I know in, in, in my, everybody's got kind of their own path, and in places that I've been in my, in my Christian walk, you know, I, I hear people talking about God is doing a new thing. You need to come and look at this. Um, Paul is telling the church at, at Colossae that all the information is available to you. He's also encouraging them to, to step out and start doing things. And as I sorted through these verses from, from 6 to 15, there's a few things that popped out to me. And, the, and this, this term, um, now live him, uh, I, I thought, well, maybe they missed a word, now live in him. Or, but actually, he's, he's, act, he's asking the, the people at Colossae to, to, to mimic Christ. And so we'll, we'll come back to that concept in a little bit. Um, but uh, he's asking them to go ahead and, and do stuff. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. So I think that, um, I think that lots of times we, we concern ourselves as Christians today with, with studying God's Word and, and with trying to, trying to know the, the hidden meanings um, of that kind of stuff. And, and I think that we don't concern ourselves enough with, with, with living it. And that, that's a bit of a challenge. It's a challenge for me, um, and I think it's a challenge for the church in general. So next slide. 
Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. You know, as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, this, this thing that's in my head, this background noise, is this concept of, of how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. And I thought, well, that was, that's, a, you know, I should, I should look that up and I can tell you how smart that I am about that. And uh, so, I, so I looked it up and it's, it's actually sarcasm. So it, it, there wasn't ever actually a debate about how many angels could dance on the head of a pin. But there was certainly a time when, uh, when the universities um, were developing philosophies that they would sit around and, and, and debate these kinds of things, mostly in the 1600s, that they would debate these kinds of arguments. You know, how big is an angel? How much could they lift? How much space do they take? Can two be in the same spot at the same time? They're, they're trying to, to do these things. And I wanted... I want to suggest to you that Christ wasn't concerned with any of those things, with any of those arguments. There's a lot of things that we have arguments about as Christians that, that Christ wasn't really that concerned about. The, the other part in this verse that stood out to me was, was the last part, but it says, but that's not the way of Christ. not the way of Christ. And it, 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 kept, it kept challenging me that if there is something that's not the way of Christ, there must be something that is the way of Christ. And I kept sorting through that and wondering why, that because I, I really want to know what the way of Christ is. Right? I, I'm, I'm curious, now that, I, now that I see this thing there, how come Paul's not talking about the way of Christ? Talking about lots of things that aren't the way of Christ, but why doesn't he talk about what the way of Christ is? And, and I thought, the more that I thought about it, I, I, I thought that it's plausible that the reason why that he doesn't talk about the way of Christ is because the, the people that were at Colossae were that close to Christ. Not that they prayed and had a spiritual life and that kind of, but that close in time. Christ was a, Christ was a disruptor in his day. There was a lot of things that, that made a lot of people uncomfortable about Christ. And lots of people knew that he, was, that he was around and he was doing stuff. And once word got out that he was a healer, people would go for miles and take their sick and their infirmed to Jesus to get healed. He didn't go unnoticed. People knew the way of Christ because they were, they were able to watch him for three years. So then I, I thought, so how do, how, do I, how do I get the gist of what the way of Christ is? And the, the more I thought about it, the more that I thought that, that Paul is actually challenging people to remember what it is to be a disciple. And so there's, there are some parts of being a disciple that, um, that we think we like, but there are some parts that we maybe don't like. And so when I was, 
sorting through, and the, the internet is your friend, I, I guess maybe your friend or maybe your nemesis sometimes, it depends what you read. Um, but when I was sorting through what to present to you, I mean, I'm trying to, trying to see what other people are thinking about uh, what it means to be a disciple. And sometimes, you know, there's, there's an article that's got, you know, three points to being a disciple, and some are five points to being a disciple. The one had 55 points to be a disciple, and I assure you we're not going to cover 55 points. But this might not be an exhaustive list of what... <laughs> yeah. You guys be happy that we're not covering 55 points. Um, so th- even though this may not be an exhaustive list, I think that it's an, an inconvenient list, an inconvenient truth. It's, it's a challenging list of what it means to be a disciple. So the first point that I wanted to talk about was, and I have some, I have some, some crutch notes here. I, th- I thought that I maybe could go without having a crutch, but this morning I'm starting to get nervous and I thought I need to make some more notes, so, so I'll, I'll refer to my, to my phone. Um, so the first part of being a disciple, I think, is your identity. And identity matters, right? In our, in, our, uh, in the news today, there's lots of, lots of conversation about how people identify, about what kind of lifestyle they've had, um, what kind of political party they follow, um, what kind of team they follow. You know, I'm I'm surprised this week how many references to Swifties that I've seen. Right, so a follower of Taylor Swift, which I don't know why you would be a follower, but it's it's interesting, It's, it's interesting to me that there's a critical mass of Swifties and how they can have influence over the NFL. I, really? Christians aren't having an influence over the NFL. You know, how, how, they can, how they can change people's online status, kind of for good or for bad. So you may not identify as a Swifty, you might identify as one of my little monsters from Lady Gaga. No? <laughs> maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you're of my vintage and you identify as a deadhead, that you were following the Grateful Dead. No, that's still not. But everybody has a way that they identify themselves, even whether it's that I'm a, I'm a farmer or I'm a mechanic or I'm a dad or I'm, I'm somebody's son. Uh, everybody has a way to identify themselves. And I think that the, the question that, that Jesus puts forward to us, and, and this is the snapshot of, of what I've taken, the, the question that Jesus puts forward to us is, do you identify with Christ first? Do you identify as a Christian first? Or do you identify as a Canadian first? Or do you identify as a Christian second or third? Do you identify as a Christian? Is, is, is Christian part of your identity even on your first page? Because if you identify as Christian first, then all the rest of the things are in a different order than if you identify as Canadian 
first or as a Swifty first. And so much so that, and we'll, we'll read this verse in Matthew, so much so that it says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So that's kind of a big challenge, because that if you were going to identify as Christian first, then we have to put our pride aside. Because now Christ gets to decide what our path is, and who we are, and how we present, and what our posture is. This is a hard thing. It's a hard, hard thing. The next one, as if this wasn't enough, the next one, the next point in being a disciple is act like your rabbi. And so the verse that we've used here is from John, and these are all Jesus' words, um, and it says, to Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching and you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Sometimes we hear the last part of that verse, but the, the first part um, is, really makes the last part make a lot more sense. And I like this NIV part because it says, if you hold to my teaching, rather than that you abide in my word. And so lots of people think about that, you know, I know this verse and it should say abide in my word. Um, but it's, it's interesting that when Jesus is talking about this, or I, I guess maybe to back up a little bit more, when I hear the, the phrase abide in my word, I think about living in the Bible. And it wouldn't make too much sense for Jesus to say, I want you to, 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 to live in the Bible, to have your existence in the Bible, because at the time that he was saying this, the Bible wasn't really a Bible. There was Old Testament, yeah. There, there got to be, at some point in time, not during Jesus' time, but at some point in time, there got to be letters, and then it wasn't until the, the 300s, the third century, that, um, that it actually got accumulated into one spot at one time. So this thing about hold to my teaching is, is a better uh, reflection, I, I think, about what Jesus' challenge was. And it, it really asks us to not just memorize the Bible stories, but to understand what Jesus' posture was, to understand how he responded to conflict and how he responded to people that were alienated. So he, he had to, to navigate life in the public eye for, for three plus years and did so quite successfully. 
So he's, he's providing an example for us because it, if we are to be a disciple of Christ, then we're to, to mimic him. We're to act like him. So he's providing, he's providing an example um, both, both in the stuff that he taught and in the posture that he took, in the actions that he took, an example for us to follow. And do we follow that? Sometimes we think that, um, that, we can, uh, that we can pick to do what we want to do. But if we identify as Christian first, we don't really get that opportunity to pick. When we, when we talk about acting like a rabbi, acting like our rabbi, I've come to the conclusion recently that, that all the New Testament and all the Old Testament all point to Jesus. And there are times that we pull verses out of here and out of there. And, you know, I was trying to think of an example. And I, I think about Sodom and Gomorrah when, uh, you know, God wasn't very happy with Sodom and Gomorrah and he rained down fire and brimstone and, and wiped them all out. And so I, I, I fast forward that into the New Testament when Jesus and the disciples are, are walking to Jerusalem and they, and they stop by the Samaritan town and see if there's a place for them to stay. And the Samaritans say, uh, you don't, there's no place for you here, go away. And the disciples come back to Jesus and they say, let's do the fire and brimstone thing again because yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And Jesus says, we're not here for that. So I think the verses that we, that we take out of the New Testament and Old Testament um, all need to be filtered through Jesus. And I, I don't know if we're good at doing that. Like if Jesus is a direct representative of God it, and our example, then, then that should influence how we, how we think about what the scripture is and how we, how we act. The next point, so we've got two now. Um, the next point is to love one another. So in John, uh, Jesus says, by, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I, I've grown up in the church my whole life. Um, and I used to, I mean, we would always have this love one another verse. And I used to think, well, that's pretty, like on, on some Sundays, I could really say that I would love all the people. Well, it kind of depended who was there um, in, my, in my church, in my congregation. And, but that's not really what Christ is challenging us to do. Because he does challenge us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. That's the thing that differentiates Christianity from, from religion. Is that if we love everyone and forgive everyone, just like Christ did, just like God did, loved us while we were his enemies, that's, that's, a, whole different, that's a whole different game than what the world is playing. <clears throat> so Christ practiced forgiveness first. 
That's the thing that differentiates Christianity from religion, is that Christianity, or let's do religion first. The re- religion expects that you're going to collect points and hope that you collect enough in the end to be able to get a prize. With Christianity, you're pre-qualified. That work is all done. We're not earning anything. So forgiveness comes first. Lots of times we, we have, you know, a, a saying that says, shoot first, ask questions later. I think that Jesus' saying would be forgive first and ask questions later. It has to do with our position of pride. Do we demand apologies or do we offer forgiveness? Jesus didn't demand apologies. He offered forgiveness. Forgiveness costs something. Every time. Forgiveness costs Jesus. He's asking you to pay the price, to forgive first. The next one I wanted to talk about um, is in the world and not of the world. And being a homeschool dad, um, we, we kind of heard this lots, that there, there's a reason for homeschool. You, want, you need to be in the world and not of the world. And so much so that I, I thought this is a verse. But it's not a verse. It's not, so I looked and looked, I thought, well, maybe in a different, in a different translation, in a different version. It's, it's not a verse. It's just background noise that we have as Christians. So the, the closest verse that I could find to this concept, because the, the concept, at least to me, means that you can exist on this planet but not have any interaction with it. But that's not really the way of Christ. Christ spent a lot of time with undesirable people. The, the verse that I, that I found that clo- most closely resembled this isn't really talking, like it's, it's, you'd have to really twist it to be able to get in the world but not of the world out of that. It says, my, my pr- and this is, this is Jesus praying about the disciples, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you, that you would protect them from the evil one, for they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And so I, so I was disturbed. Why, why, doesn't, why isn't there a verse that says in the world but not of the world? So I, again, I'm back Googling this stuff, and Wikipedia actually has some information. And there's a, it, it, it talked about um, the doctrine of separation and how some Christian faiths think that if they are, are too close to the world, then it's too messy. It gets on them. And, and some, um, some churches will uh, adhere to, to first level of doctrine of separation, which means that you know, we don't really interact with the world. 
Um, some churches have second degree separation, which means that we don't interact with people who interact with the world. I mean, gee whiz. So it really is not trying to be separate from the world. But some, somehow in our, in, our, in our Christian worldview, that noise is in the background. And I'm not sure why. I think if anything, that this, this whole part of the conversation this in the world and not of the world, it's certainly to be in the world, and I, I think that to be not of the world would show that we don't use the world strategy for dealing with situations. You think about, about the world strategy even as you go through, uh, through your day. And uh, if we were to use um, if we were to use strategies like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the world doesn't know anything about self-control and patience. Sometimes I don't know anything about self-control and patience. But if I want to identify as a Christian first, then these will be my these will be my operating terms. The last one that I wanted to bring to you, and yet it's not where anywhere near fifty-five, but the last one I wanted to bring to you is that it's not about you. Being a disciple is difficult. Being a disciple is not for the faint of heart. Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Lots of times the language we have around accepting Christ is, yeah, so finally I've got to a point in my life where, where I can find a place for him. This says not. This says Christ chose us. You. You think? Have you seen people trying to avoid Christ pursuing them? and how uncomfortable they are, and some of the strategies they do to, to try and avoid being chosen. Christ has a plan for us, but he's hoping that we identify as Christian first. He's hoping that we follow his example, that we act like, a, like him as our rabbi. He's hoping we can get this love thing figured out for everybody, 
He's hoping that we be in the world and make a difference. And he's hoping that we understand that he's on our side, that he chose us for a particular reason. So he's trying to be our ally, like Paul was trying to be the ally of the, of the church at Colossae. And so why did the church in Colossae not get all these lists of things for not to be, you know, how, how to be a disciple? Because I think that they've seen it. And it wasn't, it wasn't a question to them. But in the 2,000 years that's transpired between now and then, we've been able to water down whatever doctrine we want to water down. We think that we get to choose to be a Christian or not, and then after we've become a Christian, we get to choose what that looks like. We don't get to pick. It's hard to be a disciple, especially when you're trying to straddle the fence, when you're trying to maintain your own identity and be a Christian too. It doesn't work. And do I know how to, how to answer that riddle? No, I don't know how to answer that riddle. But I know that if we go back to, to verse 6, that everything that we need is before us. That Christ is... Um, we're not at verse 6. Sorry. Um, Christ, yeah. So my counsel for you is straightforward and simple. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the Master, now live Him. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well constructed on Him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it and let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Those verses of scripture, let me read for you the words of scripture from what he was just speaking about. This is Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven, before we go home. Paul says this to the church. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There was a lot of empty deceits and philosophies being taught at that time. Things you had to do on top of Jesus to make yourself right. Paul says there's not anything else. It's just Jesus. Becoming a disciple of him as he transforms you and then following him with your whole life. That's it. All these empty philosophies, garbage. Trying to transform your old self, your old self's dead. The symbol of baptism, down in the water and back up. You've been resurrected. You're brand new. So walk in Jesus. What about all these other things? Walk in Jesus. 
follow your rabbi, identify as his follower. As we go from this place, let us be reflecting on what that means for you and for me. What does that mean to follow Jesus faithfully? In your family, where you work, in your hobbies, in your home, in mine, what does that mean to follow the rabbi? What is he calling us to do? Continue to read through Colossians and see. But that last verse, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame, marched them naked through the streets. Satan's not in charge anymore. A follower of the rabbi doesn't have to follow his temptation and addiction anymore. When Jesus died on the cross and rose back from the dead, the power of Satan was embarrassed, for he had no power over Jesus. It was like he was marched naked through the street, completely disarmed. I want to pray over you before we go home. So let's bow together. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, as I think right now about what you've done for us as a family, I'm humbled. Because a lot of my life, and I imagine for a lot of us in this room, we've worked hard to try to achieve things, things in our faith, and our spiritual life. And yet you have done all things. You have transformed our hearts. We identify as your followers and you come first. The old self that used to come first, Lord Jesus, help us to lay it down for it is dead. The lies that we keep falling for and the addictions and temptations that suck us in, Lord Jesus, help us to walk away from them. They are disarmed and they're dead. There's no life in them. So Father, I pray for us as a family all of us in this room and at home, that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, reminding us that the fullness of the deity, the fullness of you, God, you dwell in Jesus, and we have you and we have enough. Show each one of us, from the youngest person in this room, Lord Jesus, to the most experienced Christian in this room, show us how to walk in you wherever we go, how to live in you, how to live you out in the world where you've placed us. Not to be transformed into this world, but to live like you in this world. Father, I pray that you would guard, protect, and bless this family of believers, this family that you have built and knit together. Be with them, Lord Jesus, as they go from this place and make them a blessing to the world that you've placed them in. I thank you for each person who's a part of my family, and I thank you for the chance to be a part of this family with them. We worship you, Lord Jesus, for you are holy. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. And for those of you staying for Planet Protect, we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.